We're finishing 1 Peter today. We're in chapter 5. And Peter has been telling his readers that the world is going to come unglued. That you, my beloved, are going to be persecuted. The government is going to be against you. The devil is looking to devour you. It's amazing, isn't it, that Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago? And it's just as true now as when he wrote it. Peter doesn't write this in order to terrify us and upset us. He writes these things to strengthen us and give us hope. You have to know where you're going. You have to know why you are suffering you have to know what are the good things in the future in order to have hope. And if you lose hope, there's no reason to keep going. Have you ever lost hope? You know, just this week, this last week, I went through a little patch where I lost hope. And I didn't even realize what was going on. I just felt the doom, and I didn't feel good. I had this sort of tired head thing where the back of your head starts vibrating, but not in a good way. And you just feel like somebody's done a Mexican hat dance on you. Ow! And it wasn't until I think the paracetamol kicked in that I actually felt some hope. It was really funny. And I thanked God for pain relievers. They can help turn you around. But I realized that's what happened to me. I lost hope. And that was grim. It's no fun. It's like, it's like you're a bug on the windshield and you keep getting smashed into the windshield and you wish you could just you know, quit getting smashed, okay? I'm a splat. Let's just leave it at that, okay? But no, we're going to grind you into the windscreen. Oh, the doom of it all. And so, you know, you've got to have hope. We have a great hope. We have the best hope unless we get discouraged. Now, the devil is going to do his very best to consume you utterly. Well, that was wonderful, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you very much. But here's the good news and the hope. You can resist the devil. Because God has everything you need to resist the devil. And that is God himself. So let's read here in 1 Peter 5 from verse 8. He says, Be sober, be vigilant. 
Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, look at this verse 8. The devil is looking for an opportunity to kill you. So one thing we have to take on board is that each one of us has an enemy who is supernatural. He's immortal, indestructible, and he hates you and he wants to kill you. And the only one smarter than him or stronger than him is God which means you are no match for him. I am no match for him. We're hopelessly outclassed. And the devil has been very successful in his career as the devil. That is, there are few people who have successfully resisted him Everybody at one time or another has taken a real hit from the devil. There are guys like Joseph. We don't read anything about his sins at all. Daniel. There is nothing listed in the Bible about his sins. But these people are very few in number. And more what we read of in the Bible about all these saints of God is where they fell, where they made a mistake, where they blew it. Moses blew it. David blew it. Hezekiah blew it. Boy, you read that and you start to go, I'm not any of those guys. So here we are. We're up against the devil. And Peter says that the devil is looking around for an opportunity, some kind of an opening for him to attack, kill, and devour. All right? Now, we are born again of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus and committed ourselves to him, we're born again. 
And the Holy Spirit lives in us. We died with Jesus on the cross. We were raised with him. We have the mind of Christ. We have the inherent ability to resist evil and weakness and temptation. This is true, right? You've read it in your Bible. And John says in 1 John 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And yet we find the devil very difficult to resist. It's easy for us to fall into sin. And it happens because the devil finds an opportunity. Now, an opportunity is made up of a series of circumstances that all kind of work together to provide an opening. You know what a circumstance is? It's a condition around you. And it's not one or two or three, but several all working together to provide an opportunity. Now, one favorable circumstance for the devil that Peter talks about is not being sober. Now, when you're sober, you think clearly. Everything appears as it ought to. You don't see anything that shouldn't be there. Like, you know, the cliche, pink dragons. And whoa, what's that? Well, there's nothing there. Just sit down. But you remember when you're sober who you are. I am born again. I am freed from sin. I am going to heaven. And you can see clearly to make right choices. This is right. This is what I'm going for. This is wrong. Far be it from me. Get me out of here. I'm thinking straight. I'm deciding straight. But when you're intoxicated with some kind of poison, now in the natural world, that would be like drugs or alcohol or something that's making you not think sober. What you've done is you've made yourself weaker. You have weakened yourself. You don't think clearly. It's all muddled up or else you're super exhilarated. That's another thing that drugs can do, alcohol can do, is just sort of release your inhibitions and you get super high and up for fun and woohoo. And you're really having fun and your physical and your mental control are weakened. So when you're not sober, you're weaker. And what it means is, is that you're getting your happiness and your satisfaction from something else other than God. That's what happens when you're not sober. 
Now, another favorable circumstance for attack and killing you is not being awake, because that's the second thing he talks about there. He says, be vigilant, and that means awake. Of course, when you're asleep, you're unconscious. You're not there, and you might be dreaming that you're in a classroom, and you suddenly realize that you don't have any clothes on. You ever dream that dream? I've dreamed it a lot. And I had the weirdest dream the other day. I dreamed that I was naked in a classroom, but the longer the dream went, the more clothing I had on. And when I finished, I was all dressed. I have never had that dream, ever. Doesn't matter, because it never happened, right? So, you don't care what's going on in the outer world, the real world. Anything could be going on and you are oblivious to it. And you're indifferent to danger. Something real might be going on that's very dangerous and you're completely unaware about it. Think about Jonah in the boat. The sailors are scared to death. It's a storm that's going to kill them all. And Jonah is down in the hold asleep. He's about to die, and he's completely oblivious to that. Well, when you're not awake, you're not aware of the danger of not being awake. You're indifferent. And... You're not especially following Jesus. You don't especially hate him. You just kind of, I don't care. And you know, Jesus isn't that great equals the devil's not that bad. So if he comes up with a more fun suggestion, what the heck? Now, it's opportune for the devil to attack you when there's multiple circumstances of indifference and intoxication and distance and I don't care. Weak, weaker, weaker still. And then the devil knows it's time. I'm going to take this guy right out. The devil is right there to give you a gift that doesn't give life, it takes your life. I saw this scene in a Pink Panther movie. Knock, knock, knock on Inspector Clouseau's door. He opens the door. A gloved hand gives him a lit bomb. And he says thank you and closes the door. Now, nobody in real life is that stupid, right? But, you know, temptation does not look like a lit bomb. It looks like a gift that gives life if you take it right now. And it won't cost you anything. See, the devil wanted to give Jesus a gift. He says, 
I've got all the kingdoms in the world, and I'll give them all to you. You can be the ruler of the world. All you have to do is just bow down and worship me real quick, and then you own the world. So the devil thinks that Jesus is Inspector Clouseau, and he'll take a lit bomb. But Jesus says no. He refuses the devil's gift. Because the devil doesn't give. He only takes. When you receive the devil's gifts, it always ends with you getting killed. It always has. It always will. So the devil is looking around. He's waiting for you to be weak in your relationship with Jesus so he can take opportunity and kill you. If you stay weak, you will die. Does everybody get that? Now, on the one hand, this is encouraging. And on the other hand, it's kind of scary. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what Paul is saying is that we must resist the devil. And Peter commands us to resist the devil firm in our faith. Now, resist means to not give in, not to submit to superior force or overpowering appeal or desire. Well, it just talked fancy to me, so I just, I just gave in. Or I was scared to death. Ah, I just gave in. And what it means is to be successful in resisting. Like, if you resist for a little while and then you give in, that's not resisting. So resist means never receiving anything from the devil. If he offers you a gift, you totally resist it. And how you resist the devil, says Peter, is by pursuing your faith. That is, your relationship with Jesus. And I thought about it in a funny way. See if you can stick with me. Say the devil comes to you and he says, hey, why don't you go with that pretty girl over there? She's pretty. I bet she's smart too. Come on, why don't you? Find out. Well, there's a good reason why I don't go out with that pretty girl. I'm already married. I have a previous relationship. That's why. And so the devil wants to kind of say, hey, let's do this. Let's go somewhere else. It's always against the relationship with Jesus that we have right now. And what Peter is saying is pursue that relationship because that's where your happiness is coming from. That's is where 
your satisfaction is coming from. Happiness and satisfaction, when you add them together, equals life. See, you can't be happy unless you're satisfied, and you can't be satisfied unless you're happy. So happy and satisfied go together, and they equal life. Now, the question is, is do you get your satisfaction and your happiness from God? Is that where you're looking for it? Our default mode is to look for happiness and satisfaction what we think it ought to be. I mean, we're not thinking, oh, I, you know, I want to do something outrageous so I can be happy. We just want to be happy. It turns out that the search for that sort of leads you to do some extreme things. But it doesn't matter because I want to be happy. So it doesn't matter if they're sinful. If they make me happy for a little while, I will do these things because I want to go after my own happiness. And there is some happiness in sin. It's fun. If it wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Right? But we're talking about seconds of pleasure and then hours, weeks, months, years of side effects. So it doesn't make sense, but we do it anyway because we're trying to be satisfied and happy. Now, here's the real problem in all of this, is we're looking to find satisfaction and happiness apart from Jesus. You can do anything you want, good or bad, doesn't matter. It's still not going to work. Because the real issue is Jesus. You know, my daughter was talking to some of her friends, and some of them are kind of indistinct on their gender identity and who they're going to relate to. And, you know, she's dreading the moment when it comes out and she's going to have to explain why she does not agree with their lifestyle. And the whole point is, she loves this person. She's not against them. But there's a reason why she doesn't agree with it. And everybody wants to start with this reason right here. Well, why isn't that? That's unreasonable. I want to do this. I want to be happy. But it goes way over here to the fact that there's a God. And he really is God. And he really is good. And he knows how to make everything work for ultimate happiness and satisfaction. And when you start from there, then you come out here and the reasons are rational and they make sense, and they're good. You know why? Because it will ruin your life, period, and God loves you and doesn't want to ruin your life. But you know what? The real happiness and satisfaction is here in the relationship. You get this right, and everything else falls into place with order. Satisfaction and happiness. But it's not on this little tiny issue. It's the big issue of where are you at with God? All right? When you came to Jesus and you said, I am a sinner, will you please save me? Now you're taking care of the important issue 
And when you gave in to Jesus, you felt that, didn't you? You felt happiness and satisfaction. Because you just started experiencing life and you got the main thing taken care of. Relationship with God is going to satisfy you. Relationship with God is going to make you happy. He said that with a scowl on his face. I do this sometimes. I say the truth, but I say it in an angry eyebrow way, and it blows my mind. I'm so sorry. I meant to say it like this. (laughs) I even believe this stuff. Honest to goodness, I do. But I guess I'm really intent about it, too. It's like it's not there. All the other stuff that everybody's running around trying to get. Hopeless, because it's over here with God. Now, do you remember when you got that sorted with God and you knew that God loved you? You knew that he took your sins away and you're going to live forever. Do you remember that? Now, here is the crazy part. Four fingers against my forehead means crazy. We can stop seeking Jesus and we can go back to looking for our own happiness and then we can find a really weird phenomenon. All the satisfaction kind of tapers off. And yeah, I'm a Christian. Now I can use the, the scowl. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been a believer for a long time. I believe in it all. God loves me. Yeah, but I'm not experiencing that. Yeah, there's happiness and joy in Jesus. What of it? Oh, what a convincing billboard. I believe that. And what happens is you become open to other sources of happiness and satisfaction that say, you know what? I am just about as good as what's-his-face over there, and I can do about the same thing, and you can have me right now. And see, there it is. You're surrounded by circumstances that open you up to attack and a substitute that looks pretty good on the outside. Now, what happens is if you do life alone without Jesus, you will become exhausted. You're going to be out of satisfaction. You're going to be out of happiness. And you will, as the Germans say, break together. That's their idea of collapse. I break together. All right, there you are. Now, the crazy thing is everything you need to live is right there in your relationship with Jesus. Everything you need. All the words that Peter uses in verse 10 have to do with strength and life. And here's the connection. The more strength you have, the more life you have. 
And the less strength you have, the weaker you get until you're dead. So look at what God is, wants to do in you. He wants to perfect you. Perfect you. And this word means to refurbish. You get some beat up thing like Joni and I were in a charity shop in the United States. And we were just looking around. And Joni found an, a cast iron fry pan from 1907. And it looked like heck. So guess what? We bought it. <laughs> That's a great idea. And she brought it to her brother-in-law, who is like the high priest of cast iron, <laughs> and says, can you fix this thing? And he looked it over and he says, let me see what I can do. And he did his thing on it. When he brought it out, it was sleek and shiny black. And it looked like, yeah, $5, 1907. It looked like it hadn't been used. This is what God wants to do with you. Because, you know, we all come to him broken. We come to him like frying pans made in 1907. <laughs> A little rusty there, too. But he takes us and he refurbishes us because he's the creator. He says, oh, this part, we can take it out and put in a brand new part. And this, and that, and this. We can fix this, and we get rid of that, repaint this. We can fix it. We can make it better. That's what he's talking about here. Isn't that what you need? Is to be perfected? That would certainly solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? This is what God wants to do. Then, the next word here is establish. It means to fix it firmly in place. Doesn't it drive you nuts to be unstable? Kind of wishy-washy and I'm blown this way and that way. Doesn't it bug you? Because it's exhausting to uh, just run ragged. I go up to highs, I go up to lows, but it's just like, wow, this is... I'm tired of this. Well, how would you like to be established and firm so no force can twist you and make you do what it wants? That's what God wants to do. Then he wants to strengthen you. Can you imagine? He's already strengthened you, but he's going to strengthen you some more. This word for strengthen is a word that's used in the New Testament all the time, but with the negative prefix in front of it. Unstrengthen. And it means weaken. But this is the only place in the New Testament where it's used without the negative prefix. And it's what God wants to do. He wants to 
strengthen you where your default position is weak. So then the next thing is he wants to establish you. And again, this means to make a foundation that can't be shaken. Now he already said he wanted to do this, but he wants to do it again some more. I don't know how it all works. But you're solid. You're not pushed around. You hold your position. And you don't just kind of wander away and dope, 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 dope. I'm going to wander here and get killed. We stay on course. Now, you know, as we push into our relationship with Jesus, God is going to do these things in us because He uses our suffering, as Peter's been talking about, to work these things in us. And you know, we don't get stronger. He gets stronger in us. That's the glorious thing. He works stronger and stronger in us so that our strength is not our own because, you know, we don't have any strength. But He works stronger and stronger in us. And He's going to do these things and he's going to overcome the devil because he's the God of all grace. That's what he says in verse 10. Now, grace is God giving where there's no deserving. And he enables the one who says, I can't do this. I can't be perfect. I can't be established. Well, God is the one working in us. And he has all power. In verse 11, Peter says, To him be the glory and the dominion forever. That's the important word is dominion. It's the Greek word kratos. And it just means strength. Dominion is strength that is revealed. And you know, we're not going to underestimate the devil. He is very, very strong. Paul has a word for him in Ephesians 6, which is cosmocrator. Cosmos, meaning the world or the entire creation. And krator, meaning one who has strength. He has strength in all the creation. World forces, the cosmic forces of wickedness. That's what the Bible calls the devil. But the proper word for God is not cosmocrator. It is pantocrator. And that means all power. And this word is used of the Father and of the Son. So God has all power, and He Himself will perfect you. He will confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. And this, says Peter, is the true grace of God. 
That's verse 12. This is the true grace of God. Even though you have to suffer for a little while, it's still the grace of God. And you think, well, you know, if God were really God, I wouldn't have to suffer. I could just trip through life, you know, bounding in slow motion with angels distributing roses in my path. And life would just be and you know, just chariots on fire. And there are some people who teach that if you believe in Jesus, then you're always going to be victorious. You're always going to be prosperous. And if you're not, it means you don't have enough faith. But you know, that theology does not really accommodate Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God, and he suffered according to the will of God. And without that suffering, there is no salvation. God is making us like Christ, therefore we have to suffer. And the point is, is that in verse 9, Peter says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Everyone who believes in Jesus is going through the same process. Even if they look fabulous and triumphant and their shirts are always ironed and they're always smiling, and they don't have any cavities. <laughs> you know, you just think, is that even real? And the answer is, no, it's not. If you're following Jesus, then you will suffer. Now, God the Father perfected the captain of our sufferings. He's the captain of our salvation, and God perfected him through those sufferings. And that's what he's doing with us. The purpose of God's grace is to finish what he started. In verse 10, it says, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He called us to this purpose to receive the glory of Jesus. What he starts, he finishes. And the end of our calling is to be glorified just like Jesus. That's where we're headed. Does everybody see that? That is the light at the end of your tunnel. However dark and difficult and scary it is right now, you are headed to eternal glory with Jesus. And though you suffer, your life is not random. It is according to the will of God. So Peter commands us to stand firm in the grace of God. 
You know, he's telling us up front the truth. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, you will overcome. He's telling us the truth. So, you know, one thing we have to learn is how to recognize our enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood. This is really important, especially when one of the great temptations of our day is to just get irritated at one another and think, you know what? You're such a problem. You are the problem. And then we fight with each other, and then there's no testimony. There's no witness because we don't love anybody. So that's a real temptation. So whenever you're tempted to get angry at somebody, just realize that person's not the enemy. The devil is always the enemy. And because the devil is the enemy, you can't fight him alone. You cannot fight him alone. The devil is always looking for circumstances that add up to an opportunity to attack you. So you're in danger of attack when you feel blah and apathetic toward Jesus. You just don't care. When you're indifferent to following him and obeying him, that's a danger sign. When you're tired, that's a dangerous time because you just don't want to resist anymore. When you're weak, that's dangerous. When you lose hope, that's dangerous because then you're open. And when all these things happen all at the same time, the devil's going to be right there to offer you a gift that's going to blow up in your face. It's going to look really good and you want to take it right now. And see, Peter's saying, don't do that. Now, you know, you don't need another video. You don't need to look for a bunch of memes or look at your phone. You know what would be a lot better? Is to get out of the house, take a walk, and let Jesus have it. And I mean, just tell him the truth. I am angry. I'm upset. I don't feel like following you. I think the whole thing is stupid. I'm exhausted, and I'm angry. Did I mention I was angry? <laughs> if I could, I would turn into somebody green and destroy this neighborhood. I am angry. And on top of that, I hate this person. Just say the truth, because God already knows. How about, I'm scared to death. And I hate this. See, God can handle us when we're talking the truth. And what that is, is humbling yourself before God. That's just saying, you know what? I don't, I, I don't have what it takes. And the real issue is your relationship with Jesus. It always is. And all the devil is trying to do is just shift you away from Jesus to look into something else to take care of you. But here's the glorious thing. When you're dumping 
Everything that you're frustrated and angry and tired about and you're hurting, just dump it on Jesus. You're humbling yourself before God. And God gives grace to the humble. Do you know that David said, I have set the Lord before me continually. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's what you do when you're just dumping before the Lord and letting him have it. You're putting the Lord right in front of you and you're dealing directly with, with the Lord and you're, you're going to do something about it because he can. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. This is Psalm 16. See, you push into your relationship with Jesus and he gives you life and he gives you hope and that's what you really need. In all this life that you face, put Jesus right in front of you and do you realize you are already resisting the devil right there? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do give us hope. Even when we have no hope. And we just don't think that you have any more good to give. And especially not to me. You come back and say, yes, I do. I have much more. We thank you, Lord, that you give grace to the people who don't have it. And that's some of us today. We've lost hope. And today we just want to come back to you. Just say, here I am. I'm the hopeless one but you're the God of all hope. Here's all my junk. Here's all the stuff I'm struggling with. Even my sins. I can't stop sinning. But I'm going to give my sins to you and I'm just going to say here, if I'm your problem child, then so be it. You fix me. Today, Lord, I trust in you to fix me. I know you're going to do it. And I'm looking ahead. And I'm seeing that glory. And you are going to make me like Jesus. That's good. There's a little bit of time left. 
Please bless that time. Use all the difficulties that we're going through right now. Thank you for your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.